Welcome to the Stedman History Podcast. Sit down, relax. We're going to have a great, great day. Really hope you enjoyed last week's episode where we spoke with Anna Soden about making theatre and all that kind of good stuff. This week, we're taking a little bit of a different direction because we've got an amazing, inspiring guest on this week. We have Danny Watts. He's going to be chatting about drumming in various different bands such as the Lobotomy, Sloppy Joe, The Following Announcement, Goodnight Lois, Travis Walton's World's Best Dad and Cosmic Ninja. Going to be chatting about what inspired him to become a drummer hearing blink 182 for the first time and all of that good stuff it's going to be it's going to be really good i've been uh, i've spent the past couple of days editing it and yeah it's been really nice to kind of have that chat and then listen to it again and relive everything that he said and i find it really inspiring you know when someone chases their dream and what they wanted to do from being a child all the way up until now and they're actually living it and being in that moment it's incredible so that's what we're talking about this week. What have I been up to? Not much, really. I've actually just bought a hair clip. I'm going to attempt to cut my own hair because it's lockdown and uh, it's going to be a while before we can go back out and go to the barbers. So fingers crossed that goes well. But if not, it doesn't matter because I'm not in work until next Tuesday because unfortunately someone tested positive and I have to just isolate. So until Friday. So here we are. I'm just in the booth. I'm making various different songs. I made another song with uh, with Lakeisha yesterday. We did a kind of a remix version of Sugar We're Going Down by Fallout Boy, which you can actually listen to up on our SoundCloud that I'll probably put a link to in this. It's like a whole new kind of version, new melody, all that kind of stuff. But enough about that. Let's get straight into the amazing conversation with Danny Watts. You're going to love it. It's going to be brilliant. And I'll speak to you afterwards. I reckon we'll probably put a Sloppy Joe song on at the very end. And you can also follow Danny Watts on Instagram at Danny Watts Plays the Drums. You can also check out links to all of his bands from that page as well. Enjoy the chat.
my name is Danny Watts, and I am, um, I'm, I would like to say, a musician. I play drums. Um, I used to be in a band with um, Alex um, for a while, actually, wasn't it? It was quite a long time. Um, and we um, did loads of cool stuff. It was a lot of a, um, like a, a growing up experience that I think I've really, uh, when I look back on it, because I listened to, since I've been listening to and watching the podcast that you've done, I uh, realized having to think about what I, uh, what the songs and what Sloppy Joe meant to me. And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of growing up in those songs. And I listened to like what I did and how we did it. Um, <clears throat> and there's some of it I look back now and think I wouldn't change anything, how it was done and the emotion that came from it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of, but yeah, that's, my little story of how I'm connected to you and how we became friends through that really didn't we we were friends first and then we we started the band and then it went from there yeah it did yeah because it was I think it was 2006 um like yeah. was the first the first gig but I think we met yeah just before when you were in the lobotomies and was was the lobotomies your first band what was it it was the second band I think there was a there was a high school band a secondary school band where um we first we did what did we play and uh, we had a we had we, we did a gig where we played two songs and we played one song that we'd written ourselves and we played uh damn it by blink which i think all bands seem to play um when they're like that age starting out um so yeah but then when we let that was in year 11 and then when we left we then started a band um yeah called the lobotomies when i was in college and did you meet the rest of the, well, you went to school with Sam Jay and Jordan, didn't you? Jordan Shortman. Yes. And did you meet Carl Drea at college or? Um, no, Sam already knew Carl through um, just anyway. I can't really remember how they met, but they, um, Sam already knew Carl. was like, he's interested <clears throat> me, in being a vocalist. And we wanted to start a band because I think we'd got immediately disenfranchised with, um, post 16 learning we were like no we, we so and he we we i don't think we tried to i think we set out to start a punk band but it very quickly <clears throat> excuse me uh, very quickly became that um so that's how but yeah i'd been to school with jordan and, and he was in the band that well, i was in in school and then so a new guitarist sam um was a are probably to this day still the most natural musician I've ever seen. Just picked up a bass one day and was like, yeah, I, I can play bass. I'll play the bass. And I was like, and he just could, he was like the best. So, and then we had Carl and that was the complete band. Amazing. Um, so what, can you remember the first gig, your first lobotomies gig? Yeah, I can remember that. It was at um, the Louisiana. It was just before Christmas in 2004. So we'd got to this stuff together, um, cobbled something together. I can't remember how long we played for. Um, I think we had to do a couple of covers because we didn't have enough original music. It's always the way, isn't it? You book the gig and then you don't have enough time to get anything together. So I, I'm sure we did a Muse song, but Carl couldn't be bothered to learn the lyrics or did just didn't learn the lyrics. Um, so we played it instrumental. Um, I can't remember what the Muse song's called one of the best ones well yeah the first two albums Muse albums are great so we were like let's pick one of those um cool drum parts and it was yeah it was really good it was really really good gig to, to start with I think it was as, as a beginner gig it was I think 
yeah. You hear some horror stories where people forget things and didn't know what was going on, but I think we were ready for it. That's good, yeah, because sometimes the first gig can be, like, terrible. Yeah. Or, like, everything's forgotten, and then, like, that kind of stop-starting sort of songs where they just kind of don't really flow and things like that. Did you have a lot of people going to the gig? Because I suppose at that point, being in college, you know, almost feels like everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, so we had, the first gig had quite a lot of people attend. It was really, really good. Um, It really peaked on the, it was like the following year. So like the following October we played back at Louisiana, I think, Louisiana, I think for the first time since then, possibly. It was one of those nights where we're like, hey, we've got a gig on like Friday or Saturday night. You guys, I can't remember which one it was. You guys should come. And every single person came. Everybody that said they would come came. I don't think that's ever happened. That might have happened at one TFA gig in the in the you know the distant past as well. But just every single person came, and that was like everybody we knew as like seventeen year olds. And so I think we had about a hundred people show up to this lobotomies gig, and I think you might have been one of them. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> and yeah, we were just like, it was mental. It was one of the best gigs I think I've ever done. It was still to this day. It was great. Yeah, I remember that gig. I remember like. Yeah, because I think I went along with Theo and we were walking up the road and like looking into the window and Jordan was sat there and it must have been like, oh yeah, more people have come, like everyone, yeah, you're right, everyone that that was told like came along to it. So where did you play like in between that? Yeah, we played the Croft. Um, There was some, we played the Croft quite a lot. It's probably where we played the most, I would say. We also played the Junction um, down the road. Um, Those gigs were more infamous uh for like other weird reasons so i think one of them there's there's some photos somewhere of carl in a in a gas mask and that's one of the gigs that he like spat on some people okay and it was really like but just i think not not this is quite a weird way to frame it but like not through malice he just thought it was funny and i think you know one of those things you do it you think oh that was gonna be really funny and then yeah. you, as soon as you do it, you're like, oh no, what have I done? And then it got, it went like downhill from there. Oh, did it? Yeah, it was, it was like, the people got really funny about it, and which is fully justified. But I think from my, the way I, I, I I'm, I'm still a bit like it now, but I don't, I'm not really paying attention to what everyone else is doing, really. I'm just having a fun time myself. And, but I, even I at the back was like, something's different. I don't know what just happened. I didn't see him do it. I only found out afterwards where I was talking, yeah, like he's about to people. Like, oh, yeah, oh, those, especially, yeah, especially like at those gigs, things can just get out of control, especially yeah. like if you're the vocalist, because there's not, well, there's less to do. Like obviously yeah. like you're doing the song, you're singing or you're like screaming the words or whatever, but there's, you, you're kind of like just in the moment and you're just kind of looking out and you're like, what are we gonna do? What's gonna yeah. What's gonna happen? I'll I'll spit on that guy. You're like, no. Yeah, it, it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? How like, because thinking back to it, it wasn't even well, it was but like two thousand and five, two thousand four, two thousand five. But you said like not wanting to necessarily go and start a punk band, but it did feel like mm-hmm. there was a punk scene that was going on, particularly at the junction and places like yeah. that, Bristol. Yeah. So, but I think we felt a little bit um, on the outside of it because none of us uh, particularly dressed punk um it wasn't strictly punk either in the like classic sense of what you might think punk is like uk subs or anything like that it wasn't it was it was punk 
in its attitude. And our attitude was so at the front of everything we did um, that that's why I think we, we, it just, that's how it became punk was it was just us expressing ourselves. And then we, uh, yeah, we played the junction and we, we, they just, I don't think that people liked us because I think we were young. I think looking back, you th I think you think you're not brash and you think that you're just being yourself. But just by going up in somewhere with such a reputation as The Junction and just playing those songs in a way that we played them, which was loud and fast. Um, and these people were like, how are these guys punk? Look at them. And um, yeah, I think, I think things got out of hand. I think Sam might have fallen over or like, because the stage was quite weird, wasn't it? Like on the side, really high. Yeah, you could sit alongside it, couldn't you? There were like yeah, chairs and tables. Yeah, he knocked into a guy or knocked their beer over with his bass and the guy didn't like it and then basically we just ditched the gig i think we we must have pulled out about 15 20 minutes into half an hour set and then they were just like i'm going because this guy wants to fight me and then it was like right okay we'll just pack all the stuff up and that was it i think i was at that gig that kind of well maybe i wasn't but something like that rings a bell um that's always the problem with those kind of and playing at those places because those people that were there have probably been around and yeah. just want to fight as well. So what made you want to play the drums? Is that was the first instrument that you decided to play? Yes, I was already very much into music as like a 10, 11, 12 year old. Um, we even spoke about this the other day where like I'd conned my nan into buying Marshall Mathers LP2. No, not LP2, LP, sorry. Yeah. Um, when I was... 12 and was like that sticker can you just can you just buy that for me is that all right and then she's like why i'm like oh this is like my i don't know pocket money or something i had just can you just get it is that all right and yeah okay and you get it back and you like listen to it you're like oh my god this is what is he talking about so i was already like very much into um like music and um i had heard blink as an 11 year old uh, on the radio and you look back on it now, you're like, oh, God, they got me, didn't they? They got me exactly where they wanted me, like 11, 12-year-old impressionable kid. Put it on the radio. Here's a fan. And um, I just fell in love with it. I didn't really know that I was going to play drums at all. I just, so we went um, on, but I, I found, they found me, essentially, is I went to um, Alton Towers on a good attendance day I had my attend I didn't miss a day of school or something when I was in like year eight or year nine or whatever it was and they were like oh you've had um you've been in school well done thanks you can go to Alton Towers great so I sat on the bus next to my one of my primary school friends who I did was in my tutor group and we'd all through primary school and ended up in the same group Dan Casson um I know you like Blink do you want to listen to the Mark Tom and Travis show and I was like What's that? I hadn't really known what that was because I was like 13 or 14 at the time. I'd missed it. It was like, because it was a live album, I'd missed it. Um, and he, I was like, yeah, okay. I put it in my ears and then the, the start with the um, the crowd like builds up where they fade the crowd in and then the, the, the four count in and then it goes. And I was, that was it. I was hooked. I was like, I need to know how to do that. I cannot, like, I just, I, there was something in me that just exploded. And I didn't, like, the, the Alton Towers day, I didn't care about that. I was like, I don't care about this. I want to get back on that bus and listen to this all over again. And I was like, can I listen to it again? Because it was his. And he was like, yeah, fine. 
So I listened to it about, well, all the way back. I listened to it all the way through and got to the, all, I must, I don't know how many, probably two or three times all the way through, got back and was like, can I borrow this and tape it on my hi-fi? I'll record, I'll tape it. And then I'll give it back to you like the next day. And he was like, yeah, it's fine. So I did that. And then, yeah, I wore that tape out. I, I listened to that tape forever. I, I had a paper round when I was that old and um, I listened to it every single time. It, I delivered the papers on a Thursday and a Friday and I just spent the whole time listening to it. It was mental. It was, and I just couldn't, I couldn't put the thought away of trying to, to sound like that what does that mean why is that happening what is that why does that sound like that I, I, I can't really explain it um, and that's never that's never gone away and um, I was like I got some felt it pens on my desk and I started like trying to work out what rid the rhythms were and what they what they meant and how you got from this part to that part why things happened and like whether there were when you play the snare like the, unless you're trying to go for a particular style, you don't play a kick under that. And I worked all that out like myself. I could, I was trying to listen. I got really deep into like the sounds. I'm like, well, that, that sound that sounds like ting, 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 ting. That's a ride symbol. You're like, I went and looked it all up and then was like, I needed, a, I got a drum kit or like a, one of those little, uh, little electric drum kits that are on like a, like a, they're all encompassed on like one little thing. You can almost put it on your lap. Um, and I got one of those from, I remember it turned up the week before my 15th birthday and I said to my mum, please, can I have it? And she was like, yeah, of course you can have it. And then, yeah, so it was like the week before I was 15, um, I, I went from there. And that's when I first, that's the first real experience of like playing. I, I set it all up. I was like, oh my God, what, like, what are all the sounds? What do they do? And then I just went from there. Did it, did it come easily to you? Um, Yes. So I don't know why, and it's not, I can't really explain it, but yeah, it came easy to me. It not in the sense that um, I knew how to play the hard things in the beginning. Cause you know, you look, you think you do. And then you look back and you go like, Oh yeah, I, did, I didn't know what I was doing there. I, but I think it, it felt like it came easy because I was enjoying it so much. I think. So I think I never really, it was never like, Oh, I've, just, I've got to go and do that again. Or um, I need to go over that. I, 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 I wish I could just do this right now. I was always like, it didn't matter to me that I couldn't play it because I knew eventually I'd get it because I was having so much time. I'm sorry, so much fun discovering playing at the time. I just, it just, yeah, it was, it felt easy. I think looking back now, I don't think it was necessarily, I wasn't playing the right things, but it felt right. And that, I think there's a lot to be said for that, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, especially that, like, the fun element that you said. It never felt like it was hard or that you had to kind of be like, oh, I've got to go and do this. I don't really want to do it. I wish I could just get from A to B without actually kind of, like, putting the work in, I suppose. You were saying that because you had to look it up. But I suppose at that point, it's like a different time, wasn't it? Because there wasn't, like, now you could just go onto YouTube and you could just watch, like, there must be hundreds of videos. Like, there are loads of drum videos and stuff around. So you could just find that information out really easily. Like, if I wanted to start playing drums now, I could click. I could buy a drum kit. I could look on YouTube and get started. But it wasn't the same then, was it? No. So what I did was I went to shop and I was like, I'd seen guitar magazines. So I knew they existed. And I was like, do drum magazines exist? 
I wonder if they exist. So I went and had a look and I was like, they do. It was Rhythm Magazine. So I bought one and then just read up on like what everything was. And over the years, I've found that like, I, I don't know how they produce a magazine each month. They're, like, cause there is, um, you're like, you know, in a way, cause you're like, oh, new gear this month. And it's just like new of this, it's like new pedals and new snares. And you're like, well, yes, yeah, the same. But um, they, um, yeah, I was fascinated. I didn't actually get a subscription um, until many years later um, when I decided to like, what I should do is learn because they would have like sections in their world of music and how to play this thing and, and what this particular thing is. So yeah, it was, it was through magazines really. And I, I, drum lessons never really came on the radar until probably, probably about a year later. Just for, yeah, so like about a year later, I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if, cause I wasn't sure if I needed to know how to read music. Um, so I did that and I didn't really enjoy that. It was a bit, um, it just, I, I felt like it was, a, what drums did for me was allow me to get away from the feeling of um, I was doing homework or I was doing, it was, it was a, I had to make sure I got something right for the next week or that was, and then I, that's what I had to do in the lessons was like, make sure next week you've had to go at this. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to just play. So I, I only did them for about six months and then I, I ditched them. Um, but yeah, so it was through like magazines and then drum lessons that I first um, <clears throat> looked up things, but really the main overarching thing was listening and just listening to everything just trying to pick out what was what and how it was done. And then once I got good at those things, it was then why they were being done. Um, so like, why would you play? Why do you play a closed hi-hat in the verse and maybe an open hi-hat in the chorus or go to the ride? And it was like, because like, you start to stitch together the idea that like a verse is smaller and a chorus is bigger. So like, and those things, those sounds create um, the, the, the idea of smallness and, and bigness. So you're like, oh, right. And then you start to, but then I think, um, then you start, you can get clever with those and start to invert them and play the other way and go like, well, if I go play floor tom in the chorus, it's different. And yeah, so there's loads of things, but yeah, that was uh, how I started was magazines, a few drum lessons, but just listening. Did you find it easy? Because sometimes when I try and listen to bits of songs, like if I try and focus on like guitar or things like that, I do find it difficult to kind of pick out. Did you find it? How how was that? Like when you first started trying to pick out the drums and saying, like when you said about, oh, that, that's the ride or that's that. Did you did you find that easy or was it? A bit uh, yeah, I think I did. I, I think what that's done as, and set me up for today is <laughs> that's all I'm listening for is I'll listen to music. And I will be listening. I've had to like train myself to come away from just hearing what the rhythms of what the guy's doing on the drums. I need to step back from it and then just allow it, like let my mind just breathe. Because yeah, I would go, I found it quite easy to, to identify what was what. I mean, the, the next level on is then being able to apply what's being played. Um, but yeah, I found that quite, quite simple. Um, 
in my mind to just be like i know i got i've got it really quickly like what's what and why and oh that's that that's that and then it goes to that right got it and then it then it was like well i know it i just need to apply it and then that's where like you know the practice comes in that you're like i don't know how to um like um some of the stuff i still i'm practicing today from when i was practicing when i was playing as a as a kid just because sometimes you get it wrong um so there's where you think that it's right and you think it's easy but it's not and then what you've done is you've interpreted it slightly wrong and then you are then you've learned it a certain way and then you've got unlearn it and relearn it the right way when you've got older and gone like oh that's not right oh no i've played this wrong for like 10 years <laughs> some things are are easy and you know what that but some things you think are easy and they're, they're, it turns out that they're not but yeah that's that i, I found that less um of a problem that i i saw that you know pop music it's pretty simple to pick out what's what yeah and, and you mentioned about like um learning about why things are in certain songs and about like verses and choruses and it being smaller <laughs> than it being big and you've been in three bands with jordan shortman so the lobotomies sloppy joe and goodnight lois so do you yeah. kind of have the same approach does he kind of come at it from that angle as well yeah, I think so. I would say so that we, um, I think as well, once you get like Blink was like, like the, the door to the, to the rest of the world. And then obviously you get a bit older and you listen to a few more things and then you see like Nirvana. And then you realize that like, it's not even that sometimes with them big and small, it's like light and dark and it gets a little bit more like that. And I think we came at that from the same angle. I think we, we both knew that and, and understood with like unspoken understanding where you'd sort of know where that net where the person was going where we would we because i don't think a lot of times we didn't always turn up to practices with a song in mind it would just be like let's just jam something until we get it and what's next and see what comes out and then i think we would like look at each other and sort of know what the next thing was and i'd be like i i know he's gonna go big and so, sometimes it would be like, I know he's probably not going to go big here. He's going to, there's a vibe that is going to drag it and it's going to be pushed a little bit and then it's going to go. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think we, 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 we knew that from the beginning. We were, but I don't think we really ever spoke about it. We probably still wouldn't speak about it now. We just know. And I haven't been in a band with Joel for ages, but I think that we, if we, we got in a, uh, got back in a band and started doing stuff, we'd know where the points were without having to try yeah. yeah do you have a favorite song that you have written together oh oh that's a bit that's a that's a good question i think um i listened to one of the podcasts that you did and um and the live version that, that fading away version oh yeah i was like I, this song there was i would change nothing that i play in the song i think at the end i was i went a little bit wild on that version anyway and I think I was so excited of how good it was. <laughs> I was like, ah, let's get mad. And I don't think I would do that now. But um, what I played, I remember on the, on the actual, when we recorded it in the studio, it was like, that's what I'd play now. There's nothing I would change. And that song is like, I think, lyrically as well from you. And like the bass line, the guitar part, like everything is, that's probably my favourite song that, yeah, I've been a part of with George and probably with you as well. Yeah, I agree. I think that one... It's weird, isn't it? Because I think it just kind of encapsulates the whole band, even yeah. though it wouldn't be one that I would necessarily show someone straight away. 
depending on kind of the mood of what I was sort of thinking and how I wanted them to kind of see the band. But I think, yeah, that is definitely one that it's probably well also because i remember can you remember when it was written or when we first practiced in jordan's garage maybe because i i always just remember you sorry Uh, uh, no you got you go ahead no is that where we i think this is a really good example of the unspoken thing of like i think we we faded it down it's called fading away because the third verse gets really quiet and i think i don't think we ever spoke about that like that we did that on purpose. I think we spoke about it after we'd done it and we're like, that was really cool. I'm glad we did that. I don't, I think it just happened. Yeah, I think that's just how it happened. It just came like that. And we were like, yeah, let's just get really quiet. For some reason, I don't think any of us knew. We all looked, well, I think we're all looking at each other like, and then it comes back up and you're like, yes, that's it. Yeah, because I think it also, yeah, it's called fade. Well, yeah, because it fades. And I think I was like, oh, what's that fading away one? Mm. And then that's kind of where it just sort of, came from there yeah. um but i wanted to touch on because in sloppy joe and in uh the following announcement which we haven't mentioned yet but which we will do you've not only played the drums you've also written the lyrics as well for some of the songs and yes. i wanted to um kind of talk about like your inspiration to writing lyrics did that come from blink did that come from all the way back getting the marshall mathers lp and where did that come from um yeah i think probably came from I've got a bit of a I'm I I did an English literature A level um so I I ha, you know I, I did film studies A level as well so I'm like in I really like you know that sort of written culture like metaphorical culture that sort of thing that it things can be bigger than like the sum of their parts like songs can move you in ways that like we I don't necessarily know if we, we, anybody would have a an explanation to like what's actually going on like why are the hairs standing up on the back of my neck and stuff so I was always interested in getting that across um and I think sometimes I'm drawn to to riffs so like with end of the world um I, rem- I remember I don't I wasn't there when they came up with the riff <laughs> I think I think Bill came up with the riff in um, who used to play keyboard in Sloppy Joe came up with it. They went to a music shop and he was just mucking around on a keyboard. And then I think George took that away and then like transposed it onto the guitar and then was like, I'm going to rip you off. Even though it just, it was the same, but then obviously they ended up playing the same thing. But that riff just really spoke to me as something that was, I don't know what it was. It just really spoke to me. So I was like, I feel like I can do something here. I've got, I've got it. I know what it is. I think I started writing it at the practice as well. And I don't really write melodies, um, but I just had the, the idea of it. I think I knew sort of where it should go. And then, yeah, I just, I've been watching, I think in films, uh, media studies, a film called Threads, which is about a nuclear bomb being dropped on like Sheffield in the eighties. Um, and like the fallout of that, what it's like, and just the image, it's, insanely good and the imagery that came out of that I think I was I was like I, I feel like this song is like that film and I can and that's where all of that like weird imagery of like burned corpses and um it's not from like a weird twisted horrible person that I might be it's from like, I was like this is just what I think nuclear fallout would look like 
Um, and yeah, that, I think that's why, I think something, I haven't written lyrics to a song for ages, just because I think the drums have sort of taken over and I can, and I've probably got better at expressing myself on the drums and felt like maybe I don't need to express myself as much with words for some reason, I don't know. But yeah, it, I think it's sometimes I just get, they just speak to me and I'm like, I think I could say something here that is a little bit, and I think if it's coming from somebody else, sometimes it's it's a, it's better in a way because like it's a, a left field look at what the, um, yeah, it, it's just an idea that's fresh that maybe hasn't been seen before. Yeah, instead of it just coming from the same person that always that always like writes the lyrics and things. Yeah, so Sloppy Joe played um, for a couple of years. Our first gig was the fourth of December two thousand and six at the Louisiana, and then the following year, which I thought was later than this, but now looking at it is just that year. And I found this out today that on the sixth of July in two thousand and seven, the following announcement played at the Plow. And I think that is also the date that we played with them at the plow. And there was yeah. the big, um, like, truck lorry kind of thing that we played at. And then I spoke to Matt earlier, and he said that your first gig was November of that year at the Hatchet. And there are photos of that as well. Um, and that was kind of probably one of the only times that the Hatchet's done gigs. I know there's been, like, a couple that um, that have kind of happened sort of on and off. Can you remember the conversations I suppose that happened between that that gig and then about joining the following announcement yeah I think there was another gig I think at the fleece where we filled in last minute somebody dropped out I think we got or you got a phone call on the day I think it was like yeah. a Sunday so we, nobody was doing anything and then so we were like yeah we'll go to the fleece and we'll play I think and then I think they were having some issues with 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 their original drummer I don't know what they were, but they were having some issues, some issues. Um, and then we played and that's when I think they thought, oh, we'll, um, <clears throat> I'm not on that day, but I think it took a while for them to work out what they were going to do. And then <clears throat> they uh, asked me if I wanted to, to join the band. And then it, I had about four days to learn all the songs or something mental like that, five days. Um, and they were like, Matt, Matt came round. Uh, it's a good story. Um, I just, um, for some reason, I'd shaved all my hair off and I answered the door. And honestly, he didn't even say hi. He just said to me, you put on weight. <laughs> like, and I was like, what? You seem like a nice guy. <laughs> um, and then we went for like a meeting or like, yeah, we went to the pub and had a drink and just had a chat about it. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, when's this gig? And he's like, oh, in like a few days. I was like, oh, okay. Um, I will go and learn the songs. And he, I think he gave me a CD um, and I basically learned their first album um, as fast as I could and had a couple of practices with them and then went up and, and did it. And then I was, um, I think as I got older, I was, I, I probably, maybe I was more scared than I thought, but I, than I remember, but I don't remember being overly stressed by it. I think for some reason, I think I was just, I think, cause it was, the sort of music that I did really enjoyed since I was a kid and um, like pop punk music and it was fast and it was quite bright and chirpy and um, they, the parts were already quite nice as they were. I was just going to embellish them to like sort of eventually make them my own. Um, I was quite happy with how it went. Um, if I was to jump out of my body now and go back to then, I was probably 
absolutely terrified. <laughs> well, I don't remember being terrified, but um, yeah, I think I'd be terrified now. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good. Um, there wasn't much time, so it was like I was sort of learning on the on the job, and then we started writing pretty much straight away. Did you? And then there was the tour in Florida, wasn't there? Did you play any gigs before that? Uh, yeah, I think there was a couple of gigs. I can't remember. There weren't that many. Probably a handful, five or six, maybe. And then yeah, then we were in. There might be more. There was the one at the Academy. Yes. In the January, um, that we did with Sloppy Joe as well. Um, there was that one, but there must have been. Maybe there was more. I can't really remember. It's weird, isn't it? It goes up like, you know, how long ago? 13 years. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, just kind of hearing about, like, when you said there was a gig, like, in between then, about the fleece and about, like, um, really last minute. And I, I completely forgot yeah, that gone. that even existed and that that was, that was a thing. Did you enjoy playing in America? Uh, yes, I was so tired. So, 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 so tired. So, as the story goes, we turned up to Gatwick Airport um, about eight hours before we needed to. A bit of confusion uh, of what time we needed to be there. We were there, the lights were on, it was, it was closed. I mean, it was really confusing. I think we got there about 10 p.m. Yeah. And we didn't really need to be there until about 6 a.m., I think. We could have stayed in the hotel. We, so we were up all night. Um, and then on the plane on the way over, I got a horrible migraine because I hadn't gone to sleep and I hadn't um, got to the bottom of the migraine issues that I'd been, like, you know, growing up, I, I I had to learn how to like manage the migraines that I get. And I don't really get them at all anymore because I'm on top of it. But I got one on the plane. I think the pressurized cabin did not help. Um, I felt like my eye was going to explode. I couldn't, and then I went to the toilet. I remember going to the toilet and um, being sick into the toilet. I don't know if you're even supposed to do that. I mean, if you can shit in that toilet, then you can, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you can be sick in it. Um, then, yeah, I remember coming out and being asking one of the flight attendants, do you have anything I can take? Because I have nothing. I was not prepared. I was an idiot um, for like, severe migraine and she was just like yeah i've got this and she just gave me a tablet or two tablets i don't know what they were like <laughs> sort of i have no idea so i just took them i went back to my chair and i sat there and i just tried to sleep and then we then we had a connecting flight um and then we got to we got to the villa and then we didn't have much sleep and then we had to and then we i think we went did we go to like sea world first which i'm the first yeah, we day. did um i mean now i look at that and i'm fully ashamed to have ever been to sea world um but as like a 19 year old kid i i don't think i knew any better i don't you know but there we go we went to sea world um and yeah it was just like living life on the edge really there wasn't really any drinking because we weren't allowed no we weren't old enough um, but it was, I was just so tired. I could not get, seemed to claw back the sleep. And I dyed my hair pink and got it all over the bathroom uh, in this like place. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Then, yeah, we went, the first gig, I can remember being outside. I think that's because there's a picture on the internet somewhere of us outside. Yeah. And I can remember, and then again, there's some of the footage that we managed to shoot 
I, I'm like, oh, I remember that gig. And I'm like, am I just remembering that footage? I don't think I can remember that gig at all. I was so tired. And that we, um, uh, the, the, the drum kit, I didn't, we didn't realize that like in America, they bring all their own, all of their own gear. So like they'll switch drum kits over, they'll switch bass amps, they switch everything. There's no backline. It's just everybody brings their own. We didn't know that because obviously we were barely not children. Um, and yeah, we, the drum, the guys left and I was like, while they were leaving, we were like, oh my God, what, I haven't got a drum kit. And then they were like, so I think they stayed and lent me like, I had, a, I had my snare and my cymbals and my sticks, but I had nothing else. I played on this drum kit. And then the next night we were like, oh my God, we need a drum kit. So we called up the venue and they managed to source us a drum kit. So I played on a drum kit. Some, someone someone borrowed, let, uh, let me borrow their drum kit. And so it was quite stressful. But then when, as soon as you know that, you then, know, but that was the only two gigs that we had in the end. Yeah, I suppose because it, I suppose because it all happened so quickly as well, didn't it? Like the gigs being booked and then kind of going out there. And then when yeah. you returned, you played with No Use for a Name, didn't you, at the Academy? Yes. There's a few of those Academy gigs where we did support slots where I don't, they, I don't think they went particularly well. I think we were sort of supporting a few bands where I think we did a few, we like supported a few ska-ish bands and I don't think people really liked it. Um, the nose for a name one. I remember watching them and being like, oh, this band is the best. But I don't remember really playing. <laughs> They're all I I remember I think it was the sponge one that we played, or the I know Sponge and Fandangle was the same gig. Might have been. And I it was one of the worst gigs I ever played. You play a song in front of like 300 people, and people just, just silent at the end, just <laughs> And I was furious. I was like, how do you come to a gig and not? And then I thought like, well, probably because maybe they just didn't like it. It's fine. Like they didn't like it. But I was, as like a, a, I was a raging 19 year old kid. I couldn't believe it. I was furious. But then that gig, I still reference that gig today as being like, not the worst gig in sort of like things going wrong, but just like, if you can play a gig like that, where <laughs> the room is full and no one cares, then you know the jokes on the jokes on them really in a way because I'm up here playing so it's fine. I was, there's what there could be a lot of worse things happening. So I always think about that gig and think, uh, well, the sponge gig anyway. That um, that it was there's worse things going on in the world. Don't worry about it so much. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and especially you're playing in front of a packed room. Yeah, and they're stood there not enjoying it, and you're up on the stage doing it exactly. so yeah and then so th that was that the first time that you recorded with uh the following announcement that year with andy baker was that in secret places uh so we had actually done a like a we we recorded what was going to be a single which never got released at the end of 2007 went straight oh there's there's, some, there's stories everywhere about this <laughs> where um we simon had already gone to the venue in the van that we had not the venue the studio sorry um on the, the night before and we were going to meet him there and then sleep in the van because he had a big van with lots of with beds in it and then we were just going to already be there in the morning i find out like a few years later when well, when we go back i'm like it's only an hour and 10 minutes away why don't we just go in the morning but so but we couldn't find him because it's like in the country there's it's, it's not like it there's no there's, no, there's nothing there's nothing there um and we drove around for about four hours and ended up turning up about three in the morning 
after Matt picks me up at like not, we, it, was, it, was, it was forever we were, we were trying to find him. We finally found him. And then we went in the morning. I was absolutely knackered, but managed to get these tracks down. One of them um, is, one of them was Nice to Be, which we didn't do anything with. And the other one was uh, Notes on Photographs, which then ended up on In Secret Places because we were like, I can, I can redo the drums and we can make everything better. Uh, in 2008, we went to, yeah, I did the studio and that's when I did the album with them. Around so, that time, um, you went into the tour with 2020. Was that right? 2010. Yeah, that was 2010. And that was kind of like the biggest sort of, um, well, at the moment, the biggest tour that TFA did, wasn't it? The Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy that tour? Yeah, that tour was the absolute best. So we had, we lived it up like we were a, a real touring like band that had been doing it for years. We were like, not in a, like a drinking or anything, but we just were driving around. It was this, it was like, it was June and it was really, really hot. It was really nice. The gigs were rammed. Um, I think I, we were going on at really strange times as well, though. So we were going on, I think we went on in Birmingham at like 6.45. Okay. Because they, some, it was something like that, 6.45, 7 o'clock in the evening. But you'd think like, oh, there's not going to be anybody in the room at 6.45. And because they were all, like, the people that were coming to see the gigs were all, like, quite young. That's the reason why the gig was at 6.45. So the room was full. And you're like, this is mental. There's there's like 800 people in this room and it's like people are just getting home from work in like the real world. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, we had some help. Um, we had some roadies as well. Um, so that so it was easier on our bodies as well. It wasn't so like we weren't the three, we weren't the three of us weren't lugging stuff in by ourselves. And we had people to talk to and people to like share the experience with. It was it was really, really good fun. That's great. Yeah. So that, yeah, that must, do you have a favorite venue from that tour? Ooh, I <clears throat> playing main stage of the O2 Academy in Bristol was amazing, but I think my favorite gig from that tour was Manchester because it was, I think Academy three, but it was downstairs. Um, I, I think it was about 500 people and it was probably the hottest gig I've ever been a part of. I, was like, I was sweating before we'd even started. I sat down and was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm wet with sweat. One, two, three, four, and off you go. And it was <clears throat> insane. But then we got like the rush to get everything off before the next band come on. And <clears throat> I just, I've, I, normally I would put, because I used to take my top off, I would put my top back on and like, you know, have a bit of dignity and be like, look, I'm just, I couldn't, I was so hot. I was like, I just, I can't, it's so hot. It was amazing. It was absolutely, the, the crowd loved it. It was the best. I think the Manchester venue was my favorite. That's great. Did you have, the, like, did the people that were on tour with you help then? Or was it like a real kind of academy sort of professional? Everyone came on and lugged everything off. Yeah, everyone came came and lugged everything off because we all, um, I think it was like a different, so we were, I think we didn't realise that we'd, we were on to open. So there was always a band like in between, if there was a band in between. Um, I didn't think we realised that at the time. I thought we thought that we thought we were in the middle so we were a bit disappointed, thinking like, oh, we're going to be on at the beginning. Um, and there were, but, but there were loads of people there. And it was, um, everybody was so, so nice. And just, yeah, because I think, I think in that arena, as in, in that area, you think like everybody chips in because everybody wants to run, uh, the gig to run smoothly. And like the, the guys that are the big, the big names, um, they don't want to go on late. 
they want to go on on time. So they all help. Everybody helped. It was, it's, yeah, it's great. It must have been like an amazing feeling knowing that you're going to go with like a group of people going to another city and you're going to see all those people. And like, I suppose seeing like the excitement and pulling up to the building and seeing, because there were queues and things, weren't there? At yeah. the gigs and stuff and seeing queues and being like, knowing that, I suppose all that, like when we used to play gigs, like sloppy joke gigs, there'd be like no one there. That must have been amazing going out and being like, this is all worth it. We're seeing like people that are out there and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was great. It was, you know, when you just go out and obviously nobody knew who we were, but we'd go out and walk around film the queues and be like blimey right this is crazy and after that um were you with goodnight lois at the time or was that around that sort of time because goodnight lois started in 2011 i've got down here yes 2011 so the band tfa sort of i think that tour i think it may have i think it might have i i and i might i don't know if i'm speaking um, I don't want to speak for anyone, but I think I've spoken with Matt about this in the past. I think Matt was like over the moon with how that went and was like happy and was like, he didn't, I, I could be getting this wrong, but I'm, I'm sure I spoke to him about it. And he was like, he, he didn't really need to do any more. He was happy with that. But I could be wrong, but maybe I've just interpreted that the wrong way. Um, and I think it also is very difficult to, how, like, how do you find another tour like that? How do you do it? Like, how do you, like we 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 tried we tried to guys do you want to take us again and, and it, it just didn't really come off and it's like when you look back I think at the time I might have been frustrated that we didn't make anything more of that um but also it's something awesome to look back on and be like that was the best week it was it was great so from that the band just started to start to tail off a little bit so I was like I'm gonna try something new I've never really formed the band like myself and it'd be like my vision and my ideas like that thing with the music uh, with the lyrics sorry I was like I'm gonna have a go and and I, I mean <clears throat> it was it was okay but I think <clears throat> it was and I had a lot of the creative direction of like what it sounded like and what we were trying to achieve and um, I did the artwork but I think in the end I realized like that's not really what I want from being in a band, I don't really mind. I thought like, I thought I wanted the, like the control, essentially. I wanted to know, be a part of the artwork and create it and have a say in like loads of lyrics and have a say in um, the parts and being like, look, we're gonna have the, the drums are gonna drive this and um, have, I think this, this particular keyboard sound and you should go for this guitar sound. And in the end, I was like, I'm not, I didn't really enjoy it that much. At the beginning I did, and then I realized relatively quickly that um it's not really the right thing for me and i was what i want to do and i still do it now is i just want to play drums <clears throat> i think it was like I, I, but i'm i'm again i'm glad i had a go and realized that like, maybe it's not quite maybe i can take a step back from artwork and lyrics and focus on drums and then i found that like love again from it yeah and then it's, when did when did you leave goodnight lois uh, so 2015 because and i'll tell you what sort of happened was that like i think i had also at the same time realized in 2011 realized that you can make money from playing music they just happen to be covers playing pubs and you can get money you're like oh cool like you play a two hour long sets and at the end of the night there's five of you you get 60 quid and you're like 
well, 60, I've never really been paid <laughs> 60 quid from anything. So I decided I was gonna, I was gonna do that. And then what Goodnight Lois then started to morph into was a cover band. So we would do, cause then we, we, we sort of, as like, I think again, cause I sort of ditched the lyrics and artwork, we started to realize we could earn money. And then it became like a good way to earn money playing gigs. Um, so like, and you got to meet loads of people. It was quite similar, but every, I think it was, I think it was 2014. I think I played every single Saturday for something like eight months in a row. It was, it was mad. It was like 30 odd gigs in a, like in a, in a, in the week long, um, with a week long like gap in between, but it was, it was really, really good fun. Some of the gigs were like, not that great because you're just in a pub and then just background noise. And some of them were out of this world that, where you wouldn't expect. You go down to um, Minehead, no, Watch It, sorry. You go down to Watch It and you play a club and Watch It, which you think, oh, there's going be nobody here. And it's got the best like sound system you've ever seen. And it's, there's a sub, you kick drums, like kicking you in the head. You're like, this is the best thing ever. It was great. Um, but yeah, then I ended up leaving in 2015 to try and do some just different stuff I just fancied um I just I think the whole thing I just burned me out really I needed a little bit of a break I guess from playing every single week as well that must have really kind of improved your playing as well like taking it to like another level from playing all the all the time yeah so I'd gone from I really really knew like how to play it sounds silly I really, really knew how to play pop music. I really knew how that worked and what you needed to do. And it really opened my eyes to um, a way of like, like a lot of precision and um, like tightness within songs, like where I, we used to do uh, an, an inventiveness of so taking like the most boring four on the floor Thing you can think and, and and try to twist it and make it your own so it's interesting for people to listen to so they're not going like they, they they they're a little bit that their ears prick up when oh that's interesting like it's a bit different take on things it really really did push my creativity in a way which i didn't expect it to i just thought like oh cool some money and then four years down the line um i'm like being able to hear a song like even like a pop song that i i've not really listened to and well, we're going to play it tonight or in two days and I can, I just got it, bang. I'm like, yeah, I know what to do. Don't worry about it. I don't even really need to listen to it. I'll just, I'll just keep playing. It's just, yeah, it was really, a really, really good way to open up the creativity, which I did not see coming. That's great. I, I wasn't necessarily going to touch on this, but because you mentioned it with, in regards to money and in regards to playing covers and making money yeah. um, and saying that other gigs didn't, and that was kind of the first sort of time of making money. Um, what was kind of the money situation when you did the 2020 tour was was there any money in that um yes there was money in it for us um but it was through um the sale of merchandise so we would there was no money for us to come from playing the gigs we didn't get paid a um a fee or anything it was whatever we sold on merch and then our merch had to be um, the same price as theirs. So we weren't undercutting them. So, you know, a kid rocks up and wants a t-shirt and, you know, mum, there's a 15 pound t-shirt for them and a 10 pound t-shirt for us. And 
mum and dad might be like, we'll get the 10 pound t-shirt. So we had to have it 50, 15 quid. But because there were so many people and so many people saw us and liked us, we made loads of money. But what we then did, spent it because we were having so much fun on like going to Alton Towers and Petra. So it all went like, it all went back in. But yeah, we didn't actually, we came away like, but again, we came away breaking even, which a lot of musicians will, I think, attest that breaking even is you've made some money. Yeah. Like it's, and you know, it, you, well done. You didn't, it didn't cost you anything to play. So that's great. Um, and then, but then, so when I was actually given profit um, from playing, I was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is, why have I not done this before? This is crazy. I mean, I'm not doing it anymore. I, I've, I have let that side of it go. The, the, the covers of, I don't, I mean, obviously we're in a, you know, we're in the situation that we're in, but I'd given it up anyway. It was already over for me. I was already taking a break. Yeah, because I just wanted to touch on that because I suppose people don't necessarily know, do they? When you go to a gig, you don't know that the people that are playing might not be getting paid. Yeah. Particularly at sort of the opening act and stuff. And also I didn't know that bit about the t-shirts as well, about not being, not undercutting, which is, I suppose, which is great because you don't want, the top band doesn't want less sales because someone's seeing a cheaper t-shirt but then sometimes you go to gigs and especially now i think t-shirts and things about 25 pounds so to pay 25 pounds for a band that you've not yet heard of yeah is could be different now and could kind of affect those sales and at that point you were tfa still going at that point had you come back and played that sort of reunion gig at the fleece no so we had done our last gig on the main stage of the O2 Academy in 2012. And then we, cause then we were like, nah, it's not going anywhere. Let's call it a day. And then we decided to come back. Um, yeah, it was about three years later. That's when we did the reunion gig at the fleece, which was completely berserk and it was really, really good fun. And before that you'd gone into the studio, hadn't you? And recorded a new song. Yeah, so we recorded a single. Um, I think it, the the origins of that song came out of something that Matt and Simon were doing a few years before. Um, but then I put like my stamp on it and took it to where like, well, like drums wise, where I thought it should go, which then gave it a bit of life. Where I think you know when when it was the two of them writing, and if you're writing with a drum machine or you're writing with like there's like a the, these clever programs that sort of like pick up on your rhythms and they're like a drum, like a, a virtual drummer will like play something. Um, doesn't always lead you, I think, down the right path with it. So then when I, when I came back in on that song, they were like, I think this is a good song if we want to do it. Um, I think it pushed it in the direction that it needed to go. And did you, you recorded that with James Travascus, didn't you? No, we recorded oh, okay. that with um, Kevin Peters from Anemic. At oh, yeah. Studio in his house. <clears throat> Is that stu- studio still going? No, he. As far as I'm aware, I think he sold all the gear. Um, it was going. He was doing it for ages. But as far as I'm aware, I don't think he's got it anymore. I could be wrong, but I don't think he's got it. Because that studio started at the studio that has now. It was at the old fire station, wasn't it? Because that's where you yes. filmed the video for Jenny. Yes. So we'd we'd had we recorded some stuff with with Kev, yeah, in that studio. 
Um, that's where we recorded Jenny and Starcross Lovers. And then we did do an EP a couple of, uh, I think it was maybe 2011. And it just didn't, I, we could, it started to be where it didn't, it wasn't quite working. I don't think we were massive fans of like what we were getting out of the songs. And I think they probably needed more time before we went in the studio, but you know, and we didn't have enough, it's expensive. So we didn't have enough money. We realized that, oh, I think, and then we just shelved it and we just did nothing with it. Are some of the songs, are they the ones that are on the Think High to Rise EP that have come out or are they not? Yeah, so there's released? a couple. There's um, one for us, um, which was probably the one that came out the best. Oh, Baby is Better Like That is also on there. Um, that one is also pretty good. But I think it's just, it didn't quite, it's hard to explain when it doesn't quite work. Um, there's just something not quite there with it, whether it be the production or there was like a songwriting or maybe the part wasn't quite right. I think since we've played them, come back and played them again, I think I'd play them differently. And you're like, oh, I would, I should have recorded it like this. I missed this bit. That would have made this bit better. And like, so now whenever you, whenever I do listen to them, which isn't very often, but when I do listen to them, I'm always like, oh, this is the, you know, it's coming. Like, oh, this is the bit that doesn't do that bit. I wish it did. And so it's always like, you still know about it now. You're like, oh, I know it's not that good or as good as I want it to be. And the, the TFA comeback gig was last, well, not last year now, but 2019, wasn't it? Yes, at the exchange. I remember that. And you were supposed to play the gig in the summer, weren't you? Yes. It was meant to be August. You got pushed back to maybe December. I can't remember. And then it's been pushed back to June of this year. But I am hesitant to say that that will even happen. I don't know. Yeah, also, uh, yeah, I think, well, obviously because of the pandemic and about um, vaccines and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but also, but the exchange has been very quiet. I know they do all the online stuff, but they've kind of haven't reopened. So I suppose that's yeah. kind of another question mark about will they be able to kind of weather this storm and get to June or whenever, whenever they do open, it could be earlier or possibly later. Do you think you'll would do like a live stream of it because you did a live stream which was great which we watched with um the blink 182 cover band yeah. blink 182 which was yeah and a very messy drunken night as well <laughs> do you want to you talk uh, about what that was what that was like to to film yeah so i it was a very long day um and so i had to i left at like five in the morning to drive up because we hadn't practiced obviously because everything was locked down and this was august uh the 22nd or something so like nothing was really um we found out about it about a only a few days before it happened like do you want to come up and do this thing yeah great so i there the, the guitarist and bassist who uh play the roles of uh mark hoppus and tom DeLong um live in north wales so i went up to there to practice so i got up there about half nine for a 10 o'clock practice. We practiced for four hours. Bear in mind, we haven't played for, anyway, at this point, I think ne nearly a year. Okay. Um, just because um, through Chris's job, the bassist, he couldn't, he had to go abroad um, in 2019 and didn't come back. He didn't even come back till November of 2019. So we were already behind and then we didn't really do it. Then there was a lockdown. It was just a bit of a nightmare. So, but I, I do try and play the songs. It's, it's, they're, they're really, really tough, but I do try and play them as much as I can. But then when you're 
it's a completely different beast when you're playing with people because like you've got the the backing track or the, the the song that you're playing to to rely if you if you make a mistake it doesn't matter but when you actually play you're like oh god i need to get this right because if i make a mistake there's nothing to hold me up so we did this big long four-hour practice and then we just got in the van and drove to wolverhampton and then got there and and, and then did it so we'd set all the stuff up sound check um, it's very, very strange experience to like the, the same experience could also be as that sponge gig, but there's nobody there this time. So you finish playing the song and then you don't really know if it's been, if it's a good, if you've done a good job or not, because there's no reaction whatsoever because there's no, because there's nobody there. So it was quite odd. The production values were insane. There was um, pyrotechnics. Um, we had confetti at the end. There was CO2. Um, it was all like the light stay, the light show was massive. There's massive like um, screens behind us. It was all really, really good. But you just don't really know <clears throat> how you've done. But yeah, so we, when, um, but it was very surreal to be playing these songs and then just like bang. And then that's it. And you're like, I don't know what to do now. You're like, it's a bit weird. It's, I think it seemed more dead. And I think we felt like the, their banter at the front could have been better to keep people engaged. But it's very difficult when there's nobody there. And I think upon watching it back, because I have watched it back several times actually, to try and like see what was good and what was bad that I'd done. Um, I don't think their banter was as bad and we were much better than I think we at the time, I think we left a bit despondent. Like we haven't played for ages. It's been a very long day. Um, these songs are hard enough as they are, especially for me, because like it's just it's some really berserk stuff and very fast and need a lot of. I, I've you know over the years I've worked out that like he's got his own technique. Travis Barker, I don't have that. I need to. I need to be better at like the basics to bring my level up when I play the Blink songs. Yeah, and it was. I think we thought like, oh god, it wasn't that good. And really, it was great. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was great to I watch. Think it was really good. Yeah. So you mentioned about Travis Barker having his style and you having your style. I was looking at uh, some of your videos on your Instagram page and about oh, yeah. um, who's keeping score and you saying that it's completely different to how you used to play it and how, yeah, how has your style changed over the years? Um, so I used to be very, very physical. I, it didn't, it wasn't really a gig to me if I didn't feel absolutely exhausted at the end. I needed that physical challenge um, to make it into a, I don't know what it was. It was almost like a sport to me. Um, it still is, but um, it's, and I, I really enjoy the physicality, but it got to a point where I had started to slowly, I think like break down a little bit in my body. I was getting a lot of eight back problems. My back was aching. Um, I'd get really sore in, my sh in, like, in between my um, shoulders and my shoulder, my right shoulder. But there, there's so much noise and crunching and like not particularly, uh, it's not, it's not good. So I decided that I need to get better at technique um, and I need to sit up straight. Because uh, I think over the, I used to beat my leg up quite a lot, like my inside of my left leg where the butt end of the stick would hit my thigh. I'd bruise my leg a lot. So I think for some reason the, the, the youthful 
brain I had thought that if I sit up higher, my legs further away, um, which worked and I stopped doing it. But I think what I started to do was like crouch over quite a lot and lean and I was, I was, I was all in the wrong places. Um, so I was like, I need to sit lower again and if I'm, I'm actively try not to hit my you know better technique place the stick in the right place on the drum rather than just recklessly hitting it as hard as you can play it and then I um went started to see a chiropractor to get my back fixed um I have um like <clears throat> sort of every six weeks have a sports massage which has been on and off because of the pandemic but um have a sports massage to try and like keep those kinks like ironed out um and then was like i need to learn how to act instead of it being a physical battle i can still have the physicality and the sweatiness of it all which is what i really enjoy <clears throat> but i can have it in a much more considered open um musical way and i decided to like to really really knuckle down and become a better player so before I, I didn't really know, like, who's keeping score, for example, was, like, was a bit ragged around the edges and always on the edge of, like, I'm going to make a mistake here and I'm going to get it wrong. And then the whole thing is going to fall apart, which I never, ever did at a gig. I always played it right. It was a practice I would sometimes <clears throat> not quite be focused and be like, oh, and it's gone a bit wrong. And I was like, I can just take this anxiety of playing something that's a bit ragged and not particularly, doesn't really fit perfectly and just what would I play if I wrote it now how would I play it and I just rewrote it missing like a couple of bits and it changed the whole thing and was like and then I'd taken that and applied that to like everything I play and stopped like striving for like playing the most ridiculous thing I can think of even the most most simple thing but playing it ridiculously I've stopped okay. that. I've gone like just if it's if it's simple and it works, that's always that's all there needs to be. But a complete overhaul of my style into like I'm actually I I I, I treat a lot of it like, <clears throat> and the blink stuff has really helped me do this, which is where um, I want to get to a point where I know the songs like so well, I'm so grounded in them that I don't ever need to practice them. I still will, but I don't ever need to practice them. I can just do it. And it's like getting in between the lines of the, the songs and the drums and the um, all of the parts are like, they start to like, it's hard to describe it, they start to like become you. And it, you, you can all, I want you to be able to feel it emotionally as opposed to just looking up there and going like, that just looks like a guy thrashing around who's gonna wreck his body in 10 years, if he keeps doing this for 10 years. And now you can you watch me play and it might not be as necessarily as lively and as like on the edge, but I hope, and I've tried to like bring emotion. <clears throat> I don't think that sometimes when you watch drummers, sometimes emotion is like not there just because of how like functional and weird the instrument is that like you're sat down, but also you're like on your, you're like, you're also like running. But sometimes people can be a bit like, I, I want to be able to, take that energy and put that into like that you can get from playing drums and put it into like an emotion it's quite a weird concept but it's something that i've started to embrace more and more and more over the last five or six years and i'm, I'm very happy with sort of the progress i've made in that area
and kind of yeah. getting it more on an emotional level. You said that Blink helped that. Do you think that uh, Travis Walton's helped that as well with the style of music? It's very different to the other bands like Sloppy <clears throat> Joe, the following announcement, and Goodnight Lois, I suppose, to an extent as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was really, really um, opened my eyes that how you can convey emotion through all of the parts that you play. Like even the songs that I didn't write, um, I'm like, I just sat in there and immediately, like, as, as soon as I heard the first album, I was like, oh my god! Like, I, I think subconsciously I didn't even know it. I was like, I need this is this is it. So like, taking the emotion in those songs, and then like, when I play them, I'm like, ah, I can do. I want to be able to do that as well. Like, completely inspired by how. Dan Flay writes music. Like, I just, I can't get enough of how it's done. And you're like, and then when we did the third album, I was like, how do we, how do I do that? How do I match his level of emotion in his lyrics and his like arrangement and the parts that like, just how he does it? How do I match that on the drums? And I think, like, I look back now and I, I do think like, oh, maybe I would do this slightly differently, but there's really nothing I would change. When it, not only had I, had I thought about it, but I applied it and it worked and was like, that is it. And I'm going to keep going on that path. I think without without him and without that album, yeah, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today or and, and the drummer, like the personal level, it's like changed me. It's really, really, really good. That's amazing. Travis Walton's the kind of, is it kind of sort of coming to an end then? Yeah, I think so. I think it was... We, we we'd spent a long time trying to get the album out. We got the album out. Um, we were wait, we were hoping that somebody would pick it up and it just didn't quite happen. I think it's just one of those things. And I think the pandemic happened. Danette was seeing visiting his mum and dad in Spain at the time. And then he was like, well, I can't come back. He was there for six months. And I think we, as it, the year went on, I think we all sort of realised that maybe, maybe the, I, I can't speak for the other two guys, but... I was starting to think like maybe the time has come just because I think the gigs were, the gigs were great and it was really good fun, but they were, I think I was feeling like this anyway with music and actually annoyingly because it's ruined the world, the break's actually been really quite nice. And I think we were all a little bit, I think they wanted to do stuff on their own. Amy and Dan's eyes were opened by like, they bought software, can program drums and it's not that I'm not needed. It's just that, like, I think that's just the way they want it to go. And I think, and I'm like that, I think that's fine. And I've been, um, I, I was also started, I recorded uh, eight tracks for this band called Cosmic Ninja in um, December 20, uh, 2019. Uh, and then I played one gig with them in February and then that was it. It was over. Um, but I think it was, I think the way it's gone is it's sort of naturally... They, they, they are a band that work very quickly and have a very clear vision of what they want to do. Or they, they have done since I've joined. I haven't, I don't know if they've always had it, but they, they have it. Um, and it's over the summer, I bought a new electric drum kit because I was like, I'm going to be, I don't know how long I'm going to be home. And I want an electric drum kit where I can record stuff and send stuff around to people, like for demos. And then what has ended up happening is since then I've been recording stuff for them and we've been demoing stuff like over the internet trying to 
it's it's not easy, um, but it's um, it's something at least because we can't. We got in a room a few times over the summer, but we all weren't really that comfortable with it. Um, so it's just yeah. I think that with the Travis, Walt, like I've started doing that. I think the Travis Walter. There's a bit more of a like. Amy's got um, a daughter. I think like people maybe want different things at different times. And I've, <clears throat> through the years, I've realized if people want, <clears throat> maybe don't want to do something, they want to do something different. You can't hold that against them. That doesn't mean that they like, they're not your friend anymore. or you dis They dislike you or you dislike them. It's just, that's what's happening to them. I think we had it with TFA where like, you know, originally in like 2011, 12, maybe like we wanted different things. And, but that doesn't mean we're not friends and we won't be forever. It's just, I think that that's what happens. That's life. Um, so yeah, I think it's just had it. And then I think just naturally taken its course, I think, which is fine. We still speak to them all the time. I mean, I haven't actually recently in the last like week or so, a couple of weeks, but that's just one, again, one of those things. It's just, you know, how sometimes I think me and you sometimes don't speak all the time, but then whenever we do, or whenever we see each other, it's like, we <clears throat> spoke, like, I'm speaking to you now. <clears throat> it's like, I spoke, I spoke to you, like you were, I saw you yesterday. It's, it's like, you have that with a handful of people, I think and that's a bit, a bit like what it's like with the Travis Waltons. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of, and you're right. Yeah. Like life happens and yeah, you can't hold it against anyone. You know that you're going to stay friends and <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's exactly the way. So do you think with Cosmic Ninja, when the pandemic's, kind of well when things are when you're able to kind of go out and do things do you think you'll be going into the studio quite quickly because of the demo uh, that you've been doing yeah i'm not sure i hope so i hope so because i think there's enough material there um it's just um finding i think the right studio on the or the right people and um because i think the the songs have got a lot of there's a lot of electronic elements um, a lot of synths and um, a lot of synth like bass and then I think ideally because I think this is how it worked with the, the songs I recorded with them initially is that the songs were done and the songs were done for ages and then they went in as far as I'm, I can tell that's what they did so I think these songs are a little bit not quite there with that I don't think they're almost done just yet um, so it, it might be it might be a little bit longer. So say if lockdown ended tomorrow, um, I think it would still be a couple of months away. I think that we need to get in a room together <clears throat> and make sure those parts work. I've got a better idea as this whole year has gone on, like especially how, how they write. And now I've got, and I've had the drum kit. I can send them the idea and be like, what do you think? And they can go like, oh no, it just takes longer. Um, I think if we got in a room, I think within a couple of months, we'd have it, we'd have it ready and we could go in and, and record. Cool. Yeah, no, that's amazing. That's really good. So I suppose, so you've got that coming up and then fingers crossed for the, the TFA gig. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers I, crossed. <clears throat> we also have with TFA, we've also got a song in the works that I, we've been wanting to do for ages. We've got a Christmas song in the works um, that I was like, we need to do this if like, I, I can't sit and listen to another year of Christmas songs. I don't actually mind Christmas songs too much anymore. I used to, they used to bug me, but not anymore. I think it, it's good. It's a good laugh. But 
I can't sit here and listen to another bunch of Christmas songs and not have a TFA Christmas song in there. I feel like it's it's got to be done. So I actually, the other day, I actually laid down drums. I've got no idea what it's going to sound like. I just put down an idea that I have a whole song um, on drums with nothing to it, but just, I was, I basically did some research, looked at it and was like, how do we, what's a Christmas song vibe? And there's like a shuffle feel, but I wanted an up-tempo shuffle. So um, I looked at how, I was like, what's the tempo of Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You? I just copied that tempo. I was the same tempo. I was like, right, I'm just going to play whatever comes to me and I'm going to send it. And I've sent it. And Simon is like, sounds good. I'm onto, I'm onto something already. So <clears throat> hopefully at some point this year, we will get that done and out for Christmas 2021. Cool. Yeah, that'll be really good. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to... I've kind of... I think that's sort of covered everything, oh, nice. pretty much. I don't think um, so. I think it's been... It's good. The only other thing I might say is, as well as the Travis Walton's album, um, the World's Best Dad album really... And World's that band really changed everything for me as well. That it was... That you that the three of us could make that much noise, and have that much emotion, as well. That was just that 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 album and those songs really laid the foundation for the Travis Walton's album, um, and all of the gigs and everything I've done since is like basically off the back of World's Best Dad, really. Okay. Yeah. And because I suppose it took you to some places that you hadn't played before, didn't it? I remember there was a gig in Bath somewhere. St. James Vaults, was that? Yes, St. James Wine Vaults. Yeah, that yes. was amazing. Yeah. Um, we played in Cheltenham. Uh, we, did a, we did a couple of gigs. We did one, no, was it one gig in London? And then another one in Charles Vaults, yeah. Um, and then we also, where else did we play with World's Best Dad? There was that great yeah. Halloween one. The one oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. downstairs at the exchange. That was the first World's Best Dad gig. Okay. That was 2013, I think. Yeah, that just, that band, I can't really put it into words. I don't think any of us can. Just how much. We put, we put one album out and um, I don't even think, I think you can still get to it on Spotify, but I don't think you can... Um, I don't think it will play. I think I think Eddie needs to like pay to put it back on Spotify or something. But it's it's everything. It's the best. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great yeah. It's a great album, and just I like all the different kind of um, inspirations as well, and yeah. all the kind of the different. I suppose the different bands that it's kind of opened my eyes up to as well. Like every time I die, bands yeah. like that as well. Um, that actually t- brings me on to what I wanted to sort of talk about is you mentioned about Nice To Be Earlier and talking about the World's Best Ad album possibly not being on Spotify. What, is, what are your favourite missing tracks from bands? I've got one from the Lobotomies, which is New York, but do you <laughs> have any? Oh, wow. I haven't thought of that song for so long. Um... um can you just give, just give me one second? Oh, I, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I can, I can just pause it. Cool, yeah, we're back. Yeah. Um, the fact that you just said New York, I had forgotten that song even existed. Oh, man. Um, what is the favourite? Do you know what? I think my favourite forgotten song 
is that hour-long uh, lobotomies thing that is on an iPod mini that I have, or I had somewhere, and it's nowhere else. I don't know where it is. A lot, my laptop broke that it was on originally. It's completely, I, with that, but there was some, ins, there was like, an, like, a, like a, I don't know what, 25 minute like rap freestyle session. Amazing. And some of the stuff was just absolutely berserk. I think that's probably my favorite lost thing that will never ever come to live day ever because I think it's gone. I don't know where that iPod is. I don't know where anything, my, yeah, my laptop's gone. I don't think anyone, it was on a, we recorded it. I've still got the mic and we had a, I borrowed a mini disc player off of Chris Weston, who was in my science class. And we recorded, um, I, th I, th I think I got it off of him. This is after we finished school. But I, was, I got it off of him because I knew that he had it and um, it had a record function. So I recorded to mini disc and then took it to drum bank and drum bank converted it from mini disc to CD. And then I put it on my laptop and then the CD, I don't know what happened to the CD. And then I put it on the laptop and then I put it on my iPod and then the laptop like gone. I don't know what happened to that laptop. Just, I think some, I think my, you know, the classic, I think someone's spilled water on it and it was, and it was dead. Um, and then the iPod, it was on the iPod for ages and then the iPod just stopped working and I don't know where that iPod is and it's gone forever. Oh yeah, I, I think I remember that. There may being like an hour long thing, but I don't think I've got the CD. I think I put it onto no. a computer. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't. But... Basically we recorded our practice for some reason, I don't know why, um, to mini disc, because we could, I suppose. I was like, oh, I've got a mic and I've got this thing. Um, yeah, and then we decided, yeah, after about 25 minutes, just to suck that off, nah, not interested. Let's just do some jamming. And just did like a rap session. Sam and Carl were massively into like hip hop at that point. And um, yeah, we're like being really mean to each other, freestyling in George's garage. And some of the things that were said were horrible. Sam was so horrible, but like he made it funny because they, they, they rhymed and they went with, they just, with the jam, it just fit perfect. Oh, it was great. Is that where Itty Bitty Bug comes from? Like from that session or not, like the end of Possibly, it. Possibly, it made it. I think it might be a riff at the end. It's ringing a bell actually, that there's a riff at the end that George plays that we then turned into, which is why I think Itty Bitty Bug ends up with, it gets really weird. And then like he starts saying weird stuff. I think it came from, it was the, like, possibly inspired by that like session. It's really funny, just stupid, really, really good. Cool. Well, I think that is, I think that's everything. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having you on. Yeah, it's been really great to talk about all the bands and get yeah, everything that you've, yeah, that you've done and paid into Sloppy Joe me. with you. And um, yeah, I think we need to do a Sloppy Joe reunion. I think, um, yeah, get Jordan Shortman and I think definitely Bill because, and Cos has spoke to me. So oh, nice. yeah, so that's, um, yeah, and then just kind of, kind of do that but yeah is there anything else you want to say no i think so i think that's it i think that's good stuff cool thanks uh bye yeah see ya
Christ.